When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. As I said before, I only have three opportunities left to preach and to lead worship here at St. John's. After preaching for almost every Sunday for four years, from the Old and the New Testaments, after listening for the Spirit's movement for more than 250 sermons, I only have three left. And it's hard not to think about what my final thoughts should be. I've been the pastor here for some incredible mountaintop moments and for some deeply frightening valleys. I've gone on a bunch of mission trips, I've led Bible studies, and I've implored you to do some really weird and crazy stuff here on Sundays, and I've called it all worship. What do I want to leave with all of you? Should I try to whittle the entirety of the gospel down to an easily digestible sentence like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Should I use my last three sermons to build you up with stories of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness? Should I use my final three sermons to break you down with talk of sin and evil and repentance? If I'm honest, I should admit that over the last few weeks, I've found myself far more concerned with what I want to say to you than with what God wants to say to you. So would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is Pentecost, the so-called birthday of the church. I know some pastors who will spend part of this morning in worship gathering their congregations around a giant birthday cake and will encourage a very off-key rendition of, Happy birthday to you. Others will spend time in worship talking about how it is our responsibility to offer gifts to the church for her birthday, and then will not so subtly move for a time of tithes and offerings. And still yet others will use the church's birthday as an opportunity to talk about invitation, why we should all invite others to celebrate this birthday and make the entire service into a guilt trip about evangelism and church growth, all of which have nothing to do with what God is saying in the text. But of course, Pentecost does seem like a party. There are people who are all to get, gathered together in one place. That house is filled with something that makes the guests do something, and everyone leaves with a favor. But if Pentecost is a party, how long has God planned it? Who's on the guest list? Is it the kind of party we would want to go to? Pentecost may be the birthday of the church, the beginning of the gathering of disciples to worship the living God, but it is not the birthday of the Spirit. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, sound familiar? When nothing existed but chaos, the Spirit of God swept across the dark waters and brought forth order. The Spirit is not new. It was there with the creation of all things. It rested on the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Solomon and all of the prophets. 
By the time of the day of Pentecost in the upper room, the Spirit had already overshadowed Mary's womb and had already called Jesus forth from the tomb. It was there at his baptism. It compelled him to preach his first sermon. It fed the 5,000. It healed the sick. Jesus even breathed the Spirit on his disciples on that first Easter afternoon. The story of Pentecost is not about the arrival of some previously unknown force we call the Spirit. The entire Bible is the witness, is the story of how God made manifest among the people as the Spirit. What happened on Pentecost began long before that day, and it will continue long after all of us are gone. Near the beginning... The people of God grew restless. They wanted something more than life was offering. They wanted answers to all of their questions, and they began to work on a giant tower. With brick and mortar, sweat and tears, they cut through the horizon in an attempt to reach God and to become like God. And God saw what we humans were doing and decided to confuse our language and scatter us across the earth. The unity and the connection at the heart of our species was ripped apart and never again would we be so brazen to attempt to reach and control our Lord like we did at Babel. Or so we thought. Because later, while Moses was on top of the mountain with God at a place called Sinai, the people in the valley grew restless. They wanted something more than life was offering. They wanted answers to all of their questions, and they began to form a golden calf to worship. With the gathering of precious gems, with kneeling and praising, they chose a new God to put their hope and trust in. And God saw what we humans were doing and decided to wipe us from the face of the earth. But Moses pleaded with God, and instead only 3,000 were killed that day for worshiping the golden calf. The Tower of Babel in Genesis and the Golden Calf in Exodus are stories we'd like to explain away. Not just for their strange and supernatural elements, but because they don't match with our modern sensibilities. We'd rather talk about what we think the text means. We'd rather make it into a metaphor than what God is actually saying in the story. But the stories of Babel and the golden calf do not end with a division of language, and they do not end in a slaughter, because the end of the story is Pentecost. Pentecost is the undoing of Babel with God's magnificent power reuniting God's people under a common tongue called the gospel. Pentecost is the undoing of the episode with the golden calf, where instead of 3,000 people being murdered, 3,000 were added to the budding church that day in order to redeem what happened in the valley long ago. The Spirit at Pentecost is the one who brings forth life out of death, hope out of despair, and a beginning out of an ending. We here in the church like everything to be orderly and perfect, or at least I do. I want a bulletin that is nice and clear and organized. I want a theme that stretches through the entirety of the service. I want people like you to get exactly what you want and what you need out of this thing we call worship. But the Spirit is not one for clean white linens, for perfect bulletins and calm consciences. On Pentecost, the Spirit did not come with manners and a polite disposition. No. 
The Spirit comes with power that could knock someone to the ground, fill a room as if with fire, and even turn the world upside down. The Spirit at Pentecost shows up like an uninvited guest. Like walking out of the pulpit to tell you another story. Years ago, at the height of segregation, there was a church, a very well-known, very popular church in the heart of Durham, North Carolina, that was filled with proper-looking white folk on Sunday morning. You know, the kind of people that have their kids sitting perfectly in a pew, not talking, not doing anything but listening to worship. You know, families that have every outfit they're wearing coordinated with the person to their left and the person to their right. The kind of church that knows when to stand up, knows when to sit down, knows when to put its hands together in prayer. That kind of church. And one Sunday, in fact, it was a communion Sunday, a black man from the community walked to the doors of the church and he tried to get in for worship. And the ushers stood shoulder to shoulder and they blocked his way in. And they had some choice words for what they thought about him doing there his life. So he came back the next month on communion Sunday, but this time he came with some of his friends, some of his black brothers and sisters. And there were even more ushers at the door blocking them from coming into church that week. So they waited for the height of the heat of summer. And this time they were smart. They waited in the parking lot until the ushers walked into the sanctuary for worship. They snuck in the building, they looked through those back doors, and they watched until that moment when the pastor stands behind the altar and says, this is the body and the blood of Christ for you. Come and receive. And at that exact moment, the black men and women walked down the center aisle to receive the gift of God. And I wish, I wish I could tell you that in that profound moment that white church came to their senses, that they started to embrace with love their black brothers and sisters. I wish I could tell you that they all stood up and started to sing Amazing Grace because their hearts had been transformed. I wish I could tell you that they all walked to the front, they all knelt before the Lord and received communion as a community. No. That's not what happened. No fight broke out. Because all those good-natured white folk, all those people who thought they knew what the church was like and how to behave like Christians, they did what some people do when the unwanted show up. They kick them out. And so they stood forth from their pews, not to come to the front to receive the body and the blood of the one who sacrificed himself for them. No, they put their fists together and started to pound on the black bodies that were in their church. Windows were broken. Blood was spilled. The police were called and had to escort everyone out of the church. And not a single person that day even got to taste Jesus. The Spirit does what the Spirit wants. And it does not always arrive as a still, small voice or that faint murmuring of the heart. Sometimes the spirit is electric, it's atomic, it's volcanic, and it can even be violent. The human community divided by God at Babel and then punished at Sinai was finally brought back together at the upper room on Pentecost. Instead of all that confusion, there was a new 
sense of cooperation. At Babel and at Sinai, the people of God wanted to move vertically to become like God. But at Pentecost, God gave us the Spirit so that we could be united horizontally with one another. God on Pentecost offered us a new way. But sometimes we fall back to the Babels and to the golden calves of the past. At that church in Durham on that Sunday morning, they believed that one's skin pigmentation meant more than just about anything else. And it took a fight in their sanctuary, in between their pews, for them to realize how far, far, far they had fallen. For others of us today... Just turn on the news for a second and you can see that we're dividing ourselves over our political ideologies. And so instead of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, we either ignore them or we attack them both verbally and physically. For others of us, we divide ourselves over the dumbest things in the world like our ethnicity or our race or our sexual preference or our age or our socioeconomic status or any other kind of thing you can think about. But at Pentecost, God did what God had to do to bring us back together. We are the ones who are trying to rip ourselves apart day after day after day. On Pentecost, like an uninvited guest, God arrived as a violent wind rushing through the room. Divided tongues like fire appeared among the disciples And a new tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was there in Genesis, that was there in the virgin's womb, and was there in the empty tomb. God interrupted the sensibilities and the gathering of the first disciples to offer a new way. A new way filled with a frightening and powerful Spirit. God united the people under a common tongue called the gospel of his son through the power of his spirit. And it was supposed to forever change the way we looked at the world. Because it's on a day like today, on Pentecost, we learn and discover that we are the church. And sometimes that word we includes people we can't even imagine. People who don't look like us. People who don't think like us. People who don't speak like us, and even people who don't worship like us. Don't get me wrong. I love the way we worship here at St. John's. I love our hymns and our prayers, and even the way the sanctuary looks. I love the way we greet each other as we enter the building. I love the way we share signs of Christ's peace. I even love how many of us are wearing red in honor of Pentecost today. But the church... The church should sometimes be a disruptive thing. It should interrupt our sensibilities because that's precisely what God's Spirit did at Babel, at Sinai, at the upper room on Pentecost. It's what the Spirit did at that church in Durham when there was the fight. Frankly, it's what the Spirit's going to do for our youth that go on their mission trip this week. The Spirit is going to upset the way we think the world should look. It's going to change our hopes and our dreams and our perspectives. The Spirit is the one who will show us that we are the church. All of us in here and all those people out there that we don't even think about being part of the church. They and we are the church. Whether we like it or not. Thanks be to God. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.